Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Woo! It's one hot summer, so stay cool with a couple of cool guys. No, I'm not talking about Jamie and Rodney. It's Marty and Tony from Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review some of the games they brought back from Origins, such as Mystic Veil, vale, My Village, Tyrants of the Underdark, and many more. Oh, and sorry it wasn't Patrick and Rob from Blue Peg, Pink Peg either. Welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 97, Play the Game Tonight. I'm Marty. I'm Tony. And I can't believe it's taken 97 episodes for us to finally use a Kansas song. Growing up, I was a huge Kansas fan, and I loved this album. It came out in the early 80s. This was the first album that had John Elefante as the lead singer. Right after Steve Walsh left, and this was the first song on the first side of the album. It took one of our BGG members, Air Larry, to come up with that show title for us because... I was. I was completely brain dead on this. I had no idea what I was going to name this song. And I was like, man, I hate I hate to not come prepared tonight like I do every time we record. But I was like, hey, let's try to get it out to the BGG Guild Mosley. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, sound of silence. I hear you, big guy. But anyway, Air Larry, you are going to be getting a contact from us through the BGG. And Marty, what are we Get our lucky winner. Uh, well, seeing as how the, you're the one shedding your responsibility of picking out titles of the episodes and throwing it on those who are in the guild, I think you're going to have to come up with the price. That's fine. Well, we'll just take a look. There could be lint in my pocket. We'll see what's laying around. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go through our shelves. We'll, we'll find something to send to you. So see, now people are not going to want to join the guild because now they're going to feel like they have to do work. But yes, I'm glad to finally have a Kansas song. And it's so appropriate, Tony, because tonight we are going to have the most games ever featured on a single episode of RDTN. Well, that is incredible. That means I better buckle in, get some caffeine in me because we're going to go three hours. Wrong. Okay. We're not? <laughs> no, we're not. But what we're going to do is focus on seven games that we received from Origins. And Tony, we're going to review each and every one of those games. Well, it's a good thing that I've played these games because other than that, these would be very short reviews. So I'm excited about it. Now, I will say this from a review standpoint. I don't think we can go into a whole lot of detail on how to play these games. So can can you kind of keep your explanations shorter? Hold on. I'm the one at fault for long explanations? Yeah, you explain things. I mean, I'll explain things. And then you'll come in behind me and say, well, this is what you meant to say. Yeah, because you explain things incorrectly. But they're also quick. What's worse? Quick and wrong or long and right? I'm talking to the guy who played a game recently that we'll be talking about tonight that he played wrong. Okay, so we'll move on from there. Hey, I have something else we want to mention too. We had mentioned in the last episode about Scott King's game calendar that is now currently on Kickstarter. And as in the past, Scott King has contacted us and said, hey, would you like to give away one of my calendars? And I went, hey, we would love to. So Tony, we are going to be giving away one of Scott King's gaming calendars. That is great because if anything, if you're not interested in 
the calendars, he, per, he lets you buy the images. And if you go out to our webpage, the images that he has flashes across our screen. They're gorgeous. He does a great job setting all that stuff up. Yes, we're plugging it. Scott King calendars are awesome. They got the great dates. They've got geek holidays. They got regular holidays. You said something that kind of caught my ear. Did you ask permission from Scott to use his images as the rotational images on our website? I'm pretty sure I did. If not, Scott, can we borrow your images for the rotational images on our website? I thought I, I'm pretty sure I did. Oh gosh. Now we got a lawsuit coming after us. Oh, but I can't remember. See, that's the thing about age, man. I'll have to go back and check my emails. Well, maybe you can remember this. How can one of these fine listeners win a Scott King calendar? It's going to be as we always do things. There's going to be a Google form and we're going to have our listeners go out to the Google form. It'll be posted on our website where we have Scott King images flashing that I'm sure we got permission from. <laughs> and then you will go out, you'll fill out the form and you will be putting, of course, your email so we can contact you. And then I'll have some silly questions, maybe uh, something generic, some I don't know that we can use later as content for the show. Because once again, yes, we will pull the content out of the contest. <laughs> So, oh my gosh, uh, who's driving this thing? It obviously is not us. No, and that's fine because I mean it'll be a question like um, I think we've done this in the past where it's like, what's your favorite month? Um, what's your favorite holiday? Um, wh what's one of the pictures that you would love to see on the calendar? Oh, that's a good one. I've, I'll have to listen to the show again and write that one down for the contest. That one's going to be tough. He has hundreds of images oh. out there. That means somebody have to peruse through all of them, which he probably wouldn't mind to find one that's not there already. Yeah. And I'm sure Scott wouldn't mind us using them because he kicks my butt in Ascension online constantly. <laughs> oh my. Oh, it's just ugly. It's unreal. Uh, you know, the thing about Scott's calendar is he sent us one to, to uh, check out uh, one of the regular calendars. But you know what, Tony? I love the custom calendar. So I'm going to be backing this Kickstarter before it ends because I like my custom calendar with where I like to pick a picture for each month and then have the custom dates and everything. So I'll be out there doing that for sure. Scott, thank you so much for providing us this opportunity to get one of our listeners an opportunity at your calendars. Now, this brings up another interesting thing. We have the movie contest for those of you who have not were unable to get into it. We've I've started posting some of the results. And Marty, have you noticed Finding Dory is sneaking up on Captain America? Oh, Tony, I have noticed that. And in fact, Potentially within a week, week and a half, it will pass Captain America. I mean, yeah, we gave you grief, but I was I was thinking, you know, I think it can beat it. It looks like it's going to. So I get to save some face because right after I made that pick, I was like, oh, what have I done? Even if it comes in a little bit short, they're both neck and neck with each other. Right. Now, did you go see Finding Dory yet? I have not and probably will not. I haven't figured as much, but I'll probably have to go see that. But it, it looks like a cute movie. But look at you. We all mock you. We all made fun of you. But now you will have your sweet, sweet vengeance on us. Well, potentially, because there are three other movies. So just picking the number one may not make that big of a difference. Because unlike last year, where Chris picked a movie that just blew everybody else away, Dan did pick one that's going to be right there with Finding Dory. Oh, which one was that? Captain America. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Chris's Jurassic World just blew everybody else away. There was no way to catch him. Well, it's going to be a little bit tighter this year because we didn't eliminate any movies. Right. I, I agree. And so this will be this will be pretty tight at the end. And I'll be posting some of where we stand because a lot of our movies haven't shown up yet. So it's kind of useless for me to post our results. But guys, I'll keep updating that periodically on the Guild. So pay attention to that. Chaz, 
Appreciate you filming a lot of uh, RDTN's meetup there. Thank you so much. That was awesome. I got to see my bald spot prominently. (laughs) I guess you're referring to the Origins vlog that Chaz has edited and posted out on the Dice Tower YouTube channel. Yes, I am. I was watching that and I was like, oh my goodness. the boy! Hey, give the boy credit. I mean, the Pikachu thing, that was kind of cute. And then I was like, oh. Good God, what is that? Oh, is that Pikachu's butt? No, that's my bald spot. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, Chaz did a fantastic job. I talked to him offline. I said, dude, that must have taken you forever to edit all those episodes. I think it was like four. And it was like, yeah, it, it was a pretty big undertaking. He, he just did a fantastic job with that. If you haven't checked that out, please go look at that because you get to see a lot of the happenings from Origins, games that were played, people that were met. Thank you, Chaz, for coming by and videoing some of our meetup. We weren't expecting him to do that. He also videoed some of our Jack Vassal Memorial Fun uh, game, uh, Crazy Carts, and and all the fun that was from there. So thank you, Chaz, so much. And again, go find his videos out on the uh, Dice Tower YouTube channel. They're hilarious. Oh, they are. And Marty, guess what I just did? What did you just do? I just added another game to our list of games to review. So we're down to four minutes. (laughs) Yeah. In our notes, we have six to seven minutes per review. But Tony just added one that uh, I'm I'm glad he did because I have not got a chance to play this. Let's talk about these games, how we're going to do this for a second. So full disclosure, these were all games that were given to us at Origins as a chance to check them out and review them. Tony and I split these games up. We were able to play some of the games together, but some of the games we had to play apart so we could try to get as many games as we could into this episode. So that's what we've done, and we're going to be going through the games, and it's all sorts of games, Tony. Oh, yeah. All kinds. Card games, deck building, simple family games. It'll be very interesting, but before we get to those, I have a question for you. What'd you think? I know you played Grand Austeria, is it Austria Hotel? Austeria. 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 <laughs> Grand Austria Hotel. Austria. Austria. Yes. How, what did you think of it? I had been wanting to play this game for a while because I heard some very good things about it. I thought the thing was kind of neat where you're People, guests are coming in, you're trying to feed them what they want at their tables and make sure they have a room ready for them to stay in the hotel. There's nothing that really stood out about it that was unique as far as a Euro. The dice mechanic was what was somewhat cool because there's a, a bunch of dice that was rolled at the beginning of the game. And each of the dice, one through six, give you an action to choose from. And that's how that works. Unfortunately, Tony, if the action that you want to take does not have any dice rolled for that action, you really got to think quick on your feet uh, to, in order to get the action that you that you need done. You may need to change your strategy. It's funny, once the game was over, we played with four people, and I said, okay, um, one negative to this game, there is a lot of downtime because it goes in a snake-type turn order, meaning uh, if there's four, pe- four people playing, uh, starting with player one, uh, it goes to four and then from four back around to one again. So if you're for that first player, everybody else gets to take basically there's seven turns that happens before it gets back to you again. And that is a long time. Wow. Oh, yeah. Man. Mm. And so it's one of those things I thought did, did, am I looking at this wrong? So I went out and checked out some reviews today of it. I have not read any on it. And that was the biggest complaint with a lot of players. There's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of AP because you can't plan out your move in advance because by the time it gets to you, you don't know what dice or what cards are going to be on the table available for you. So this game is probably best suited for two to three people. I've heard it was really good with two. I enjoyed it. Would play it again, but it's not one of those I need to rush out and buy. 
I mean, you, you had me with the dice thing about you couldn't do the action of the dice wasn't, I immediately jumped to roll for the galaxy, which is still one of my favorite games, but yes, but then you completely lost me with, with the downtime. Yeah. I mean, with roll for the galaxy, everybody's simultaneously sit, uh, taking their actions, right? Right. This is the extreme opposite of oh. that. Oh, and you know me and my um, attention dis- disorder there with um, squirrel moments. So that's fine. I can do that. Now, you know, speaking of disorders of attention spans and things like that. So my wife actually requested to play a game this past weekend. It was Royals, the, the old version, not the one with our buddy Kevin on it. Now, so I'm going to go out get a picture of Kevin from the vlog of Chaz's vlog, and I'm going to paste it onto my box. Is that, you think that'll be okay? That I'm sure Arcane Wonders will be okay with that. Okay, well, that's fine. But anyways, I haven't played in so long. I completely spaced those rules, man. It's so simple. I couldn't remember anything. <laughs> and have you ever opened a game and you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, how do you play this? Oh my gosh, yes. Especially if you haven't played it in a while. You think, oh yeah, I remember that. And then you open up and you go, wait a minute, where did this card go? What? I don't understand. And then, yeah, I'm there with you. Did did that ruin the experience for the others though? No, it didn't because they only it only took me a few minutes to you know quickly glance through the rules, begin setting it up, and then there was some discussion. Some people remembered some rules wrong, but we got it all straight and we got it going, and the game was going very well. Um, we had some AP on at times. The game lasted. It was five people, and that may have been too much for Royals, but I still really really enjoy that game. Yeah, it's a good game. Is it one of those you feel you need to get the new version or you okay with the old one? I'm just going to stick with the old version. I, I see no reason to get the new version. I see no reason to upgrade because I'm fine with the artwork. As a matter of fact, one of the people I was playing with looked up the king and found all the portraits they used in that version because, you know, they're they're historical people. And then they went and researched each of the years and were discussing the years. That's how much downtime we had at certain times as people were having AP. But that's okay. So Royals is also educational. Yes, it is. If you have people that will spend time looking into it. But enough about old games. Can we talk about some new games? Oh, my gosh. Let's do it. Let's just go ahead and start at the top of the list. Here we go. So, Tony, I know you're a big Pandemic fan. Have you gotten the Biohazard Containment Unit from Broken Token to store all those bits and pieces? Not yet, Marty. I'm I'm still recovering from the Origin purchases or... Well, a lot of the stuff that occurred during the Barnes & Noble 50% sale, but I am seriously going to get that pandemic massive collector's box. I think it will look great, especially if it's one of those games, Marty, that I constantly bring out on the table. So the Broken Token insert for Pandemic is definitely one that I want to get, as well as look at various other accessories that I can add, like the bit boxes that I added to my Rails of the World. I need to order a couple more of those. I know you wanted some. Yes, I do. It's always good to have those little small bit boxes lying around for containing bits. I, well, that's amazing why that they called them that. So anyway, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Chase it. They, they're marketing geniuses over there at thebrokentoken.com. The first game that we're going to talk about is Animals on Board, which is published by Stronghold Games. This game is all about collecting different tiles and putting them on an arc. But Tony, there's a problem here. See, there was this guy a long time ago named Noah who brought on animals, what, two by two, right? So the story is said. You know, I wasn't there. I cannot vouch for this. I just have to trust what I read. Okay, well, so here it was. It was decreed that, you know, since he was the one that decided I'm going to bring on two of each type of animal. 
That means no other art can do that. So over the course of the game, you're trying to collect sets of animals. However, you're going to be penalized if you just have a pair of animals. How this is done, there's 12 species of animals and five of each type of species valued one through five. There's going to be tiles in the middle of the table. You've got these really, really cool arcs that you put together that you can stack your tiles on. And the front of it's an arc and, and you hide the tiles from everybody else. And on your turn, you're going to have a group. The first player is going to have a group out and of uh, tiles on the table. You split the group and you're going to take a food crate. You can split the group however you want. You can make a, two small groups, uh, one very small group, one very large group, however you want. doesn't matter. Split the group, take a crate. Next person is going to take one of those groups and split them. Take a food crate. Eventually, it's going to come a point in time where, you know what? It's time for me to grab some of those animals. And you're going to take one of those groups that's been split out and pick them all up and pay one food crate per animal that you pick up and put them in your ark. And then your turn is over. Everybody else continue till they're done and you bring out some more animals. This continues until 10 people have animals in their ark. And at that point, the game is over. You discard any pairs of animals that you have. For any single animal, you get the point value of that tile. And for any sets of animals you have, three, four, or five, it's five points per tile. Most points wins. Like in a lot of games, Tony, I'm sure you've played. Oh, amazing. Points win again. Well, you know, that's pretty good that you're able to determine. Now, I didn't get to play this game yet, Marty. You, you let me borrow it. I enjoyed setting it up. You're right. The, the components, they're cute. The cards, the artwork, all that's fun. But you know what? Is there meat to this game? Would you could, could you sell this to me? Well, I don't know if I could sell it to you. I mean, the theme is very light. To me, if you saw this game sitting on a table, table you would think this is a hobby game. Just by the, the colorful artwork and the nice uh, thick com cardboard components you think, oh, this is definitely from Hobbit, but it's from Stronghold. And this was actually a 2016 Spiel des Jahres recommended game. So it's, get, it's getting a lot of buzz and everything. After we played it, I played it with Vanessa, and she said, if you have kids, this is a great game for kids because it teaches so many things. As, as Vanessa is a teacher, she's always looking at the educational aspects, especially for kids, because it talks about uh, splitting up and then grouping things back together. There's some, there's some math involved. There's a little bit of push your luck of trying to decide when should I pick up a group. And then there's the whole thing, you can't have a pair of anything. Eventually, you're going to have a pair, so either you have to get a third or more of that or know that you're eventually going to uh, lose those animals at the end of the game. So she said, as a parent, as a teacher, fantastic game for kids. For adults, well, it's one of those things, if you just want a real light game that's going to take 15 to 20 minutes, you might could play it. And the nice thing is, it could be set up in a matter of really 30 seconds. And takedowns just as easy, because you just throw all the tiles back in the bag, the arcs back in the box, and you're done. Okay, so what about for older adults? Like if I wanted to, you know, my mom enjoys Rummy Cube and games like that. Is this the type of game that I could probably you know, teach an older adult? Oh, big time, especially if they're not into gaming. This is actually a really good one. And and for an older adult, like us, Tony, who may have problems seeing things, the numbers are nice and big on the tiles. There's no reading involved. You can have just casual conversation as you're playing the game, so there's not a lot of deep thought. So it's a very social game. It's one of those that I, I really enjoyed, especially if you got the kids. And like you said, older, older adults, might be, it might be a good game for them too. Okay, well, um, once again, I hate I didn't get to play this. I look forward to playing it. So would you put it on your shelf? What would you do here? You know what? I have kids. I'm going to leave it on my shelf. And Vanessa said she'd probably even to take it to school and use it. So that's Animals on Board from Stronghold Games.
All right, so the next game was also from Stronghold, and this is the Carl Chuddick game, Bear Valley. And a lot of people are hearing not-so-nice things about it, a lot of you know, comments about how the game is played. That's fine. Uh, and some people are loving this game now, Marty. The first thing I'm going to say about Bear Valley is you're going to have to work at this game. Do you understand what I mean? No, I actually do not because I did not get a chance to play this game. So I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Well, that's because somebody left it at his office when he was reading the rules <laughs> or you would have gotten a chance to play this game. I don't know who that guy was. I don't know. And speaking of rules, I remember you were kind of shocked at those. What do you do when you open a small box and you have an encyclopedia laying in it? Now, T.R. Knight, he did a great job on editing these rules. You can't. They, they put a bunch of examples in there, Marty. Bunch That's of, good. That is good to, to let you think through it. So what's in the box? Well, there's a rule book, uh, an encyclopedia. Okay, it's 30 pages. That's close enough. It's a small little box. You got some money gold disc, little wooden gold disc that you will use later in the game. That's for the advanced rules. Then you've got these 15 valley cards. Okay, plus one for this game, Marty. These valley cards are your starting laying out. Because what's going to happen is you're going to be laying tiles. You're going to be playing cards on your turn to develop a path through the woods. You're simply trying to go from one camp to the next without getting eaten by a bear. Okay, well, that, that sounds pretty straightforward. You would think so. Now, wasn't there a song about a guy who was, you know, I hope I don't get eaten by a bear. So, squirrel. Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. You know which one I'm talking about. Oh, he, oh, Camp Granada. Camp Granada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Well, here you are in Bear Valley. You're not at Camp Granada. So, you're sitting there and you're flipping over these tiles, but the, you've got these starter tiles and there's 15 of them and you don't have to use all 15. The game scales from two to five players or six players, I'm sorry. And you can sit there and you can lay them out for short games or long game. You, you got that happening. And then there are all these wilderness tiles. There's 79 wilderness tiles. And on these wilderness tiles, there's exits. There's three exits on one, four exits on some, five exits on um, a bunch of them. And then there's six exits. Now, what's important about these exits is if you are turning over a tile, now your little guy does not move. This is a pressure luck type of game. You turn over a tile. And if the number of exits equals the number of tiles you've turned over, turns over. Okay. Okay. So you've got to remember that, that, Hey, as I'm turning these over, if I've turned, if I'm on like turn number three or turn number four, what are the chances that they're going to stop? And I will not be able to progress my guy from one camp to the next camp. So there's your pressure luck part of the game. There's also equipment tiles that will show up that have exit numbers on them. Those are in the advanced rules. Okay. Did you play the advanced rules? No. And here's why. When you're first teaching this game, the turn mechanism of turning over these and getting people to understand, okay, if it's this turn, you can do this. Or if the turns is equal, you have to stop. They, they don't understand. And then they have to understand the lane of the tiles so that they will match up. We didn't get the chance to play the advanced rules. So I'm going to tell people, you've got to work. That's just it. You've got to get people through the basic rules and see if they like. Now, I've played it up by myself, and I like the advanced rules where you can do other things. They add some more. But once again, there's a lot of little rules to this game. That's probably, to me, one of the biggest cons to this game is all the little negative, or not negative, but all the little rules that happen. I'm sitting there. We were playing through it. They were kind of put off. Is, is that it to the game? Now, you can never occupy an, occupy another space of another person at any time in this game. So you got to, there's your strategy. Once again, you got to work through this game. 
I, I'm going to admit, I was had mixed feelings, but the more and more I think about this, the more and more I can get a grasp around these rules, I'm going to like this game. Really? So I'm, I, I can't wait to play it because I've heard mixed things about it too. So I was really curious to see uh, what you're going to think. I do understand it makes sense to play the basic game first, but it sounds like we really need to get the advanced uh, rules to the table and then really give it a good fair shake. I agree with you. And uh, it's just one of those things that the game is challenging me. It's saying, ha, we're challenging you to really figure out how the steep strategy of this game, and that may turn some people off. So I'm happy it's on the shelf. I can't wait to play it with you and and the family over there and give this one a try. I think six people might actually be good. Then again, it could be a complete and total disaster. We'll have to wait and see. But either way, Bear Valley, new game from Stronghold. It's definitely a play before you buy, and you're going to have to work at it, plain and simple. The next game I'm really excited to talk about is a game that's now being published in America by Passport Game Studios, and that's Simurg. This is a game that was released last year in Europe, was brought to the U.S., and Scott Mars helped me with the pronunciation of the game to make sure I didn't screw it up. And now I'm thinking, am I screwing up because it's either Simurg or Simurg? Oh, that's great. I don't know where to put the accent, Tony. That's all right. Typical us. Just spell it for everybody so they can easily type it in. You know, that irritates <laughs> me. People will start talking about games on other podcasts. And, you know, this is almost, I'm going to rant. I'm going, let me, I'm, I will rant on future episodes about putting game names in there without people spelling out. So spell this out for the people. S-I-M-U-R-G-H. So there you go. This is a worker placement game, and we love our worker placement games. And this was sold to me as Lords of the Waterdeep, except a little more advanced. What's cool about this game is you have two types of workers, Tony. You have spearmen and you have dragon riders. And there are spots on the board that uh, has like special dragon markers, and only the dragon riders can go there. But all the other spots, either one can go. So there are some unique decisions that had to be made right there because you may have to decide... Oh boy, if I use my Dragon Rider here, I've only got a Spearman left and won't be able to take this other action later on in the game. That's kind of a neat decision, right? Oh yeah, I like that. And I mean, because you really got to plan it out. You got to think ahead of what you're going to do because um, now, do things occur later in the game that would cause you to really regret that decision? There is potentially that because during the course of the game, and this is kind of one of the unique mechanics, you have these things called action cards that you can put out on the board which provide additional spaces for you to put your workers imagine the buildings and lords of Waterdeep. you put a new building out there there's a new spot for a worker to go same sort of mechanic here during the course of the game you can you get to starting out with a starting hand of those cards you could draw up more and on your turn you can put down a new card and put one of your workers to activate it and then it's out there for others to use but here's the kicker if that card is ever empty or you have a certain number of uh, workers on the card based on the number of players that card is removed from the game Mm -hmm. And that goes to a pile. And once that pile reaches a certain number based on number of players, that triggers the end game. So there's a kind of this timing mechanic where it's like, okay, I'm going to put this worker out here. And then hopefully somebody else will be able to put their worker on it. Because the other thing that you can do on your turn, you can either do one of two things. Place a worker, pick up workers. Place one worker, or pick up as many workers as you want. So there's going to be a point in time where you got to decide, oh boy. There are like three tiles over there with my worker, and I'm the only one on there. And if I pick them up, that's boom, boom, boom. Three tiles that just left the game that's going to trigger potentially the end of the game. And that was a cause of stress for us in the first game. And we immediately had to play it again to make sure we got this right. Because there's part of the strategy, too, of if you, Tony, if you just have a worker out there and I want to make sure you don't get rid of that, 
I may put one of my workers on that tile just in case you pick up to make sure you don't add to that pile that triggers in game. Is it going to create a race at the end of the game? Is it going to be a sudden, oh man, here everybody comes, oh my gosh, and you're and you're stressing out in a worker placement? Yes, yes, you're stressing out because once you hit like, oh my gosh, if only if two more tiles are discarded, that's going to end the game and there is this frantic rush. Now there's this other way that can end the game too. There's also objective tiles where there's secret objectives. Like in a lot of games, it's like if you do this, this, or this, you complete this objective and get X amount of points. Once again, if a certain number of objective tiles are completed, that's also a way to trigger the game. So there's multiple ways to end the game, which you got to keep track of. Everything else is pretty much standard fare with a worker placement game. Hey, I'm going to put a worker here. I'm going to gain these particular resources. Hey, I'm going to put a worker over here. Use those resources I got to maybe draw a card. You know, it's that sort of thing. Or I'm going to put a work, uh, worker here to pay these resources to get an extra worker. Pretty straightforward. I would think so. I mean, even I could probably not screw up those rules. Yeah. And the last thing that's really unique beside the action cards is you also have these dragon tiles that you can play in front of you that have uh, three action spots on them. And they have tokens to indicate that they're available to you. And on your turn, you can remove that action token and take that action right there. That's unique to you. Only you can use it. But what's cool is you could put your workers on a spot on the board and replenish those action tokens on the cards and then use those actions again. So that's neat. The action tiles that you put out there that disappear from the end of the game are neat. Everything else is kind of your standard worker placement game. This will stay on my shelf. Tony, I need to have you over and play it. I love the theme of the dragons. So if you're interested in it, go check out Simurg or Simurg <laughs> at Passport Game Studios. Well, I have a question. Is it going to replace any other worker placement? If you look at your worker placement games, are you going to sit there and say Lords of Waterdeep or Simurg? Well, here's the thing. I would probably play this over the Lords of Waterdeep basic game, but they're probably a tie Lords of uh, Waterdeep with the expansion. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to Yeah, definitely want to check this out because there are some worker placement games that would be like, hmm, can you beat them out? You know, Pillars of the Earth for me, of course. But that, that's interesting. I can't wait to play it. And let the stronghold game barrage continue. It's kind of like listening to Stephen Bonacore on our show. <laughs> it's like he's right here beside us. <laughs> I know, but actually he did. He had a lot of games. And Stephen, thank you so much for providing us this opportunity to get these review copies. That was very generous of you, and we thank you so much for it. So now let's talk about Pirate Tunes. It's kind of like I was buttering him up, wasn't I? Is that because you're getting ready to bash this game? No, no, I'm okay. not. No, I'm uh, no. Power tunes. First off, I want to talk a little bit about the components. These these components. Wait, wait what's a component? That's a component. These are hard boards, man. You're building a pirate ship. You are trying to get your crew out there. You're trying to build the biggest, baddest pirate ship on the seven seas. And and you're doing that by pulling together these pieces, these ship tiles and these equipment pieces, and you put them face down in the box. It's a really ingenious little treasure chest. You first, when you get it, it's got this edge border and you put these pieces on it. And then you put, you can't see them and you put the top of the chest on them and then you flip it over. And before you display it, there's this timer, 15 second timer. And what people are trying to do is they're trying to claim pieces to help build their ship. So there's this mad race to claim pieces by putting your people on it. Now you can put your people with other people. That's okay. But if there's ever a tie, then the person who put the last amount of people on the piece gets that piece. Oh, that's a twist. Oh, it is. So that adds to it. And meanwhile, this timer's going down. This 15 second timer's going down. Now it's not a maximum. It's a minimum timer. 
That's key because what that means is no one can say, stop the plunder. You have to wait for that timer to end. And when it does, someone can go stop the plunder or whatever they want to say. And everybody has to stop placing workers down. And when you do that, then you distribute the pieces. Any pieces left over that were not claimed and pieces that from previous rounds were thrown overboard, except for the ship pieces, now go into an auction phase. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's a blind auction. You put your coins out. Well, you pay, uh, you pay your unemployed workers. All right. And you, you, for every worker you didn't use, you get doubloons and you give, and the pirates take them and they put them in their hands and they all bid. And whoever has the most gets to pick a piece. So that's a way of getting pieces that you might've missed at the beginning back for your ship. Okay. And then you take those pieces and you put them on your ship and there's portholes and there's, um, quarters, deck quarter, I mean, uh, quarters for the crew. And then there's mass and flags for the mass. You really cute diagrams and things there and people that are on the decks. And then you have gun ports as well. And basically what you're trying to do is you'll score get this Marty. This is how you win. Okay. It's by the most victory points. No. Yeah, that's it. You total it up. Yeah, you total up who has the fastest ship, who has the biggest ship, um, who's not missing people in their quarters, who has a ghost ship, in other words, or people are missing. So that's really what it is. And what's neat is the rule book has all this, um, these little rules about if a pirate knocks other people's pirates off, they have to sit out. You got to read through that. So when there's the plundering phase going on there, that you got to be very careful on how that is done okay that you don't knock other people's pirates off and and mess them up um but basically yeah that's it there's rules on how the tiles can come together and where certain ones and and you can always reconfigure or at least i made that rule but it says so right here any connection or placement modification is always allowed anytime until the end of the game so you can always modify is how i took that rule the largest ship you get five victory points uh, next size and so on and so on and if you have empty spaces you get negative victory points and, and things like that so uh, and set tile collection if you have matching tiles you get points for that so there's a lot of ways to score points kind of like a feldish type thing so i have a question yeah. after you do the bid how do you get more money for future bidding by not using your workers for plundering oh okay so workers not okay i missed that part so workers not used give you money at the end for the blind auction that's cool yeah and, and i like that i like that mechanism i like the fact that the 15 second timer is not a punisher it's a to keep people from saying in the plundering i mean i'm not even i mean if we can't say submerge i am not going to even get close to oliver gory and Fibent Quintens, who designed this game. I'm not even going to get <laughs> close to it. Don't even try it. I won't. So anyway, Pyrotoons. I wanted this game. I did. It looked like a fun little game. After we've played it a little bit, I felt that this is probably a younger person's game. Okay, cool. So that's Pyrotoons from Stronghold Games? That's it. All right, so we're going to break the Stronghold on this. Get it? Stronghold on us. Okay, Okay, moving right along. Fake laugh. Okay. Uh, It wasn't a maniacal laugh. So Plums, Crash Games, sent us a a couple of games, and I got to play card game Plums. And it's a uh, Pegasus Spiel game. What was the name of the company, please? Uh, Crash. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. They changed. Crash of Games. Yes. Thank you. 
Uh, my bad. The, he added the of, right? Patrick so, added sorry, the of. Sorry, Patrick. Yeah. Crash of games because they were now part of Geek Chic. Geek Chic. That's right. My bad. I forgot that. So old habits. Anyway, so Patrick brought over from a Pegasus Spiel game called Plums, which advertises itself as a trick taking game. The first thing I want to say about this, when Donna saw this game, she looked at it and she goes, we have got to play this game. She knew she didn't do anything but look at the box. So why do you think she said that, Marnie? Why, why, why? Well, the art looked really cool and it's a trick taking game. She knew nothing about the art immediately pulled her in. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. It is. It's gorgeous art. And it's got a bunch of fruits on it. And we got one thing. We don't even have a clue what the fruit is. We were giving it names and, of course, got funny. We were calling them dingleberries, but we didn't know what they were. They may have been white grape. We don't know. Either way, the game is really simple. So what you're doing on your turn is everybody gets dealt out an equal amount of cards. And they select from their hand cards they want to play. Because the whole object of the game is to get victory points, imagine this, from cards that have them printed. And you do that by collecting certain sets. You can have a set of four individual fruits, or you may have two fruits of one and two fruits of another. Those will give you victory points. And you're trying to collect those in your tableau in front of you. That's really the game. Some of the cards have these special things that you can do, like steal a card, or better yet, you can get three cards that equal pi. Literally, 3.14, there's cards with pi on them. No, are you serious? Yeah, they've got pi. And you play those when you play your card so you can increase the number on the card. So, for instance, if you really wanted to go first and the cards are numbered 1 through 25, you could play it on your, let's say the 25 has been played, and you have the 20, and you're like, oh, man, if I got two pies, then I can add you know, that to make it 26.28. And that that's how you set up all these cards. It's not a trick-taking game. It is simply a set collection game. The artwork is gorgeous. We played it a, a couple times, and i am got to say the game didn't grab me. See, I lost. I lost terribly, and that may be why it didn't grab me. But I was sitting there thinking this game needs to be played faster. But everybody was agonizing over what cards they wanted to play. And no one really felt good about it, so... I hate to say this, but it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. Well, did Donna like it? She was one interested in it. Not really. Okay. But I think we missed something. I really do. I don't want to, I don't want to be too negative about it, but there was just something that we were missing with that game when we were playing. I think the strategy wasn't there. I think this is another one of those games you're going to have to work at. I, and I really, you know, so I don't want to bash it and say it's an awful game because it's not. The artwork is gorgeous. The mechanisms of guarding the fruit and being able to plan out and collect the fruit to get your sets to score your victories. There's a there's something there. But the, of the people sitting around the table, the five of us, we just were missing it for some odd reason. I don't know. I, I got to get it over over to you and, and get you to play it or we'll take it to game night or something. I'll definitely give it a shot. Yeah, but the artwork is. It, it's gorgeous. There's just a lot more there than I'm missing it. So that is Plums by Crash of Games. Uh, if you get a chance, definitely play it and tell me how wrong I am. Tony, have you happened to notice a trend in Euro games where there'll be a real popular Euro game and then they come out with like a dice version of that game that makes it a little bit easier to play? Yeah, I mean, usually they try to um, give you a little bit more chance into it. So, but it, have you done one recently that has that even more? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, games like uh, Race for the Galaxy 
And then they came out with Roll for the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Last year, Stronghold Games announced they're bringing in the Village line of games. And one of the first games they came out with in that line is My Village, which is a dice-based version of the game Village. The game theme is really simple in the fact that you're just building a village. You're starting out with a little hut. And from there, you're going to try to build out your village by building churches and bringing craftsmen into your town that will attract customers that they can sell their stuff to, that where you can build fields and you can go on journeys and you can educate your people. And that's really kind of the whole theme of the game. And it's driven by dice. Well, so wait a minute. So are we saying that you're condensing it down some that it's like another worker placement game where you advance everything? I mean, is there anything that brings out my village so it's a little different? Well, here's the thing. It's not a worker placement game at all. Now, I know that you think every time that we play a Euro game, it's a worker placement game. But this is not a worker placement Wait game. Wait a minute. Are you, are you placing meeples on the board? Nope. So you're not placing meeples on the board? Well, then it's not a worker placement game. Well, you there are meeples on the board, but you don't place meeples in order to take an action. To take an action, what happens is at the beginning of the round, the first player rolls a handful of dice. And from that, you're going to choose two dice to activate a banner that's somewhere on the on the table a banner can be black or white black ones are typically on the on the center of the table and they can only be activated once with that pair of dice and it's going to do things for you like build a craftsman bring a customer to your town build a church build a conference room build a field go out on a journey it's just a single action and but each of those will bring a tile over to your tableau that you can add to your village And when you bring that tile over, typically you flip it over and on the other side contain white banners. So with those pair of dice, you could also choose to activate white banners. But what's different from the black is, is you can activate as many white banners as you want. So Tony, say, for example, that over the past several rounds, I've collected craftsmen and each craftsman builds something different, like one raises horses one builds plows, one builds wagons. And if the value on that banner matches, let's say it, by the way, all the banners range from two to 12, the values of two dice rolls, right? Let's say that all of them are equal to six. And if I pick two dice that equal six, I can activate any white banner that has a six on it. And by doing that, I can build three things at once. But the kind of cool mechanic with this game is there's time that's, that's taking place. Each time you take an action, typically is going to cost an amount of time, and you track that time on your board. Uh, each time you take a, a time, you move your time marker clockwise around the board. The time on the board kind of represents life. And when that clock strikes 12, the Grim Reaper comes along. So I was going to say, when 12 o'clock, I was thinking noon. It was siesta time. It's time for me to take my normal nap. <laughs> it's it's midnight of uh, life. Okay. Yeah. And when that happens, you actually have to take one of your workers that's on your board, and you have to kill them, and you have to bury him. So he's passed. He's passed. Okay. But see, the thing is, though, but to build those different places like a craftsman, to build a field, to build a church, you have to have a meeple there in order to be able to take that action. But if he dies, what are you going to do? Well, you got to raise a new one. And one of the actions you can take on your board is if you have a three or an 11, there's a black banner beside the school. And if you select dice of three or 11, you can take a new meeple and put him into the school and, and over over time, you can bring them out of the school and replace a place where somebody has died. So it's the circle of life. You educate somebody, you put them to work, they die. That's so depressing. It is kind of depressing. 
because there's this cute little grim reaper that when you get uh, to 12 o'clock, you then track your time mark with the grim reaper to remind you at the end of your turn that you did pass the 12 o'clock uh, part and that you have to kill somebody. But what's cool is, is that's actually the game ending uh, trigger because once so many workers have been buried and this is a combined work of everybody in the game, then that's going to trigger the end of the game. Well, let me ask you this. So please th- do. There's village and now there's my village. Now, I don't think you didn't play village, right? I did not. And when I played this game, people started asking, well, how does this compare to Village? Unfortunately, I have not played Village. But for a simple Euro game, and especially if you like Euro games with that kind of dice selection mechanic, kind of like Roll for the Galaxy, maybe somewhat, except there's a little more... Uh, stick it to your neighbor because everybody's drawn from the same dice pool, then then you may like this game. And in fact, that's kind of one of the negatives. I've heard some people say that, you know, a three-player, that that last person really doesn't have a lot of dice to choose from on their turn. That can be mitigated somewhat in the fact that you can always take the first player marker from somebody. And you can pay a, a four or a ten with a, a two dice and take the first player marker. And that first player marker also accumulates story points over the course of the game. At the beginning of every uh, round, you put a story marker on there, a story point on there. And when you get it, you put it in your little tree on your village. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the game, if you're able to bank all your story tiles from that tree into the town hall, then those are extra victory points at the end. And again, that's one other action you can do that's a black banner that has a question mark which means any two dice so anytime on your turn you can move your uh, meeple out of the town hall into the village grab all the tiles and move back in if you want to score all those because if you don't there's a chance you may lose them because whenever anytime anyone dies on the main board you get this cute little mouse meeple Mm-hmm. and you roll a die, and he moves along a, along a track, once he gets to the end, that means he's infested the town, and you've had you've had a plague problem, and whoever, ha- you have to take half of your story points that's in your tree and discard them. So there's infestation, there's plague, because people die. Did they have doctors in this game? They should have. You know what? There's not a place for a doctor, no. No, there, there's fields for getting gold. There's places that the craftsmen that you can build things. And then if you sell those to customers who want those particular goods, that gives you victory points at the end. You can go on journeys, which give you victory points. Every time you build a part of your church, it gives you victory points. So it's one of those things where like, there's a lot of way to build victory points. It's just depending which way you want to do. Playing with Travis, he always took the journeys. He tried to take his uh, meeple on a journey as far out as he could. There's these journey tiles in the middle of the table that you can buy. And you get points for every time you go a little bit further in your journey. I didn't do that part at all. I tried to do the craftsman mechanic. He did really well, though. So the, the journey is just another way to do it. But it's really, from that, it's kind of a standard fair year. Or you're looking at the board, trying to decide what best to do with the choices that you're given and go from there. But obviously, the big thing is, is trying to synergize between the tiles. You want to try to buy as many tiles as you can that have the same number on them. Okay. So recent game that we did play that has the dice in it, and that would be Champions of Midgard. Which do you like better? Oh, I got that. That's a good question. I got to think about this for a second. And that's what Rolling Dice is known for, our thought-provoking questions. They're, they're so different. They both have dice, but they're so different because Champions of Midgard is a worker placement game where you're trying to get dice that you use to roll and attack other things. And yet this is different in that the dice that you choose actually activate 
the actions. So it's not really comparing apples to apples. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which one. I, I, it depends on what kind of mood I would be in on which one I'd want to play, honestly. I mean, that's probably a cop-out answer, but I don't know that I'd raise one over the other because it's depending what kind of experience I want. Some people may look at this game and, and think, oh, it's a it's an old-timey village with craftsmen and stuff, which I've seen before, and there's fields that gives me gold, and I'm, I got to manage these resources in order to give me these other resources. Oh, yeah, by the way, the purpose of the gold is another way to mitigate the dice rolls. On your turn, you can uh, take a gold and spend it and rotate a dice up one or down one to get the number that you need. So there is ways to mitigate the luck. Uh, I have played uh, two-player th- two and three-player. Uh, two-player moves fast, really, really fast, because on your turn, uh, you actually take each of you choose two actions before you uh, roll the dice again. So uh, Travis and I played, played and finished under an hour. It moved really quick. So if you want a quick moving Euro two players, this is a good way to go. You got to really think, is is the theme, is it going to be something I enjoy? Is that mechanic different enough that it's going to be worth me putting on the table um, to try to, you know, hey, I got another worker placement game with dice in it. Okay, how? It's not a worker placement game with dice. Okay, see, you've got me hung up on worker placement now. I'm sorry. Okay, so it's not a worker placement game with dice. It's no. a dice game. Since you're trying to score points, and the one with the most points gets the it's victory. It's an action selection game where actions are based on the dice that are rolled. All right. Just like in Grand Austria Hotel that we talked about earlier, the dice that are rolled will determine the actions that can be taken that round. That was like 30 minutes ago. You expect me to remember that? <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. Came out of Origins, out now, My Village from Stronghold Games. If anyone has been keeping an eye on Portal's social media sites, you'll see that we're starting to see all these gorgeous pictures of Cry Havoc. Production copies are now in hand, and Ignacy's going around starting to show it to people. Tony, I don't know if you've seen it. The models are gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. It's a huge board. I cannot wait to play this game. No, I haven't seen any of these yet uh, because I kind of want to be surprised. I want to see that when you lift the box off and you go, oh, kind of like what happened when we got to see the preview work for Ashes. I know this is part of Portal, but you know that, oh, moment with Cry Havoc. You can still pre-order it. Even though he's got production, you can still go out and pre-order your copy, which you may want to do because I still think it's going to be a big hit at Gen Con, but you can pre-order and and pick it up there. There's another game that's going to be coming out at Gen Con 2 and that's Tides of Madness, which is a follow-up to Tides of Time. Tony and I got to play it. Let's talk about it. One of our top games from last year was the two-player game Tides of Time. Fantastic game where you're card drafting, which Tony, which is one of your favorite mechanics, you pick a guard, you pass the cards to the other player, and the whole goal is over the course of the game is try to generate as many victory points as you can by combining certain cards together in order to generate those end points, and it's played over three rounds. Oh, yeah. I love card drafting, and this is one of those games when you sit down and you start to play it, you're like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of strategy here. Oh, wait a minute now. I want that card, but I've got to pass him that card. Will he give it back to me? How do I bluff? You got that bluffing element of it. Mm-hmm. Tides of time. I mean, you're just sitting there thinking, hmm, for 18 cards, this is pretty sweet. It is. And then that's why I was surprised when it was announced there's going to be Tides of Madness, which is a HP Lovecraftian theme Tides of Time. And at first I thought, uh, is this going to be like the love letter thing where it's just a retheming of the same game? But Tony, it's not. 
We got a copy at Origins, and we had a chance to play this game. And the game plays exactly like Tides of Time. It's card drafting. You're trying to match icons, and some of those icons will generate points. But there's one catch, Tony. What's that? If any of the cards that you keep and play on the table had the tentacles on the side of the card, you have to take a madness token. Oh, yeah. I mean, because, hey, isn't that what Cthulhu's all about, madness? It is. And that's that's exactly what's going on. In the course of the game, you're taking madness tokens. And at the end of the round, the person with the most madness tokens gets four extra points, or they can get rid of a token. Because, Tony, why would you ever want to get rid of a madness token? Because if you get nine madness tokens you lose the game simple as that that simple mechanic right there has totally changed this game because now now you might pass a card to somebody that you think hmm they might be able to use this but if it has a tentacle on it maybe you want to try to push them over the edge with madness and just get an instant victory madness great new mechanic love it i love some of the easier you know ties of times was great for us i'll admit that but these cards I think the text that helps you score, it's easier to follow. What did you think? Well, no, I think that when we talked to Chevy, he actually said that some of the confusing cards from Tides of Time were removed because there's some question on how they were supposed to be read. And so those confusing ones were removed and replaced with more standard ones now. And yeah, so we never once had to look at the rule book and try to determine how to decipher a rule. Really straightforward. I mean, there were three cards that we had to say, well, what does this mean? But other than that, they had it right there for us. They knew people were going to have some, needed a little extra explanation. But other than that, yeah, I, if, if it were up to me and I would say, if someone said Tides of Time or Tides of Madness, I would immediately say, go Tides of Madness. I'm glad I got both. I mean, that, that's given. I'll, I don't care, but Tides of Madness, that, that's the winner. Yes, that extra decision of whether you should take the madness or try to give it to somebody else really puts it over the top for me. And the art, once again, is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the the art from the scenes, from these H.P. Lovecrafting scenes of the gods and Miskatonic University and the Necromonium, oh, it just looks so good. So if you're interested in this, this will be coming out at Gen Con. This is not a very expensive game, priced at the same price as Tides of Time. Or you owe it to yourself, even if you're on Tides of Time, to check out Tides of Madness. The Madness mechanic works and works really well. A game that you've probably been hearing a lot of is the game from AEG, Mystic Veil, which is a card crafting system. That's what they're calling that. At its core, Tony, this is really just a deck building game as you start out with a, a set of 20 cards But the thing is, is that you're never going to have more than 20 cards because the cards are transparent and the cards that you buy, you're going to actually sleeve into existing cards that you have. As each card has a segment that's the top, middle, or bottom, and you can combine three cards together to fill out each segment. What you do is at the beginning of your turn, you're going to flip over the top deck of your card, exposing cards until you have exposed three decay icons. At that point, it comes to push your luck, Tony. You decide, do you stop? Or do you try to push ahead to try to gain some more resources in order to buy stuff? That's it. And even the rules, it says that. Pass or push. I mean, couldn't spell it out any easier for you. Well, about the card crafting, you know, first off, Marty, this isn't the first game that did this card crafting stuff. I mean, didn't Hecatomb kind of sort of have this? Hecatomb did have that. That was the, a CCG back from Wizards. It was yeah. the five-sided cards that were transparent, and you stack them on top of each other. Actually, it was really a lot like it. That's kind of what drew us into it, because we enjoyed Hecatomb when the, for its short lifespan. But, you know, this one, this seems kind of neat, that you're going to be able to craft a card, make it more powerful. The endless amount of combinations that you could have in this game are just the 
it's just mind blowing if you think about it. And I'm sitting there and it's just like, okay, you want to put this with this? Cause you can't ever cover up text from another one. No, you, you cannot. And there's a market in the middle, so, kind of like Splendor. There's three levels. Level one's the cheapest. Level three is the most expensive, but those are also the best cards. Over the course of the game, you'll be buying through level one up to level three. And those higher cards have additional icons, which allow you to get Vel cards, which are like end of the game scoring uh, point cards or cards that just sit and play and help you do uh, like an ongoing effect uh, throughout the rest of the game. And then uh, at the end of the game, after there's a set of number of victory points, after the victory points are taken, you add up those victory points, plus any cards that give you victory points. And Tony, guess what? Uh, You win if you have the lowest amount of victory points. That is totally incorrect. You win with the most victory points. Well, it was worth it. I mean, you know, like you were talking about the veil cards, uh, that's kind of neat, having those special symbols on it, needing the mana to buy things. It's a deck building game, people. You're only got 20 cards. And I'm going to say this, probably one of the neatest things about this game is that they put this little protective film on the cards <laughs> to keep yes. it that slowly p- pills off. And, and I think it was, was it Eric Summer who said it's like, no, no, it's me. It was, it was me. It was you. It was I'm, me. Give me credit. Me give you credit. Yes. Okay. You got credit. Fine. That it's like peeling sunburnt skin off. Oh, you know that feeling when you like get sunburned skin on your shoulders, just peel that dead skin off. It's like, ooh, that feels good. That's exactly what it felt like peeling this film off these cards. And I was really sad when we were finished peeling. It was so funny. At Origins, all of us were sitting around peeling this film off. It was great. And what's so sad, that might have been the most fun part of the game. Uh Uh-oh. What are you saying? I love deck builders. Don't get me wrong. Everybody knows that. Thunderstone Advance, um, Legendary, love that. Uh, game we're fixing to talk about, as you know, and just all kinds of deck builders that are out there. And I'm just like, man, this sounds so neat, but it was flat. What about you? It felt kind of flat. In fact, it felt like we're going to introduce a type of mechanic and uh, put a very basic game with it and see what happens. And that's what it was. It's a it's a basic game. They, it's neat how you put the cards in the sleeves and everything like that, but... But Tony, what I am excited for is they've already said that they're going to take this card crafting system and incorporate it into other games. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to taking this type of system and incorporating with it with more than just a Splendorous type game and something with a little more meat. Where's this going to go? I agree with you. Hopefully it takes off and it gives us that meat that we want. That gets well done. No, not charred. Medium, no, yeah, just 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 well, medium well be fine. With medium me. well be fine. Even medium a little bit. Right now, it's it's rare. Yeah, it it definitely just is a, is a basic game. Uh, again, if you just like a basic deck building game, I probably look at it like maybe a step above Splendor. There's probably some more decisions to be made. The push your luck is interesting because what happens if you ever show that fourth decay symbol, your turn is immediately over and you don't get to buy anything, and all those cards that were put in front of you are discarded at that time. You do get a token you get to flip over to say at the beginning of your next turn or at a future turn, you have one extra resource to spend. That's nice. So the push your luck element is kind of neat. Oh yeah, I agree with you. And and my concern was that the sleeves would start to tear on the cards, but they seem to be pretty good. And of course you'll be able to buy extra. So incorrect. No, no. I've already played the game several times. and They've already started tearing. Wow. I didn't even notice that. So, okay, well there's your money maker. <laughs> no, they put some extra sleeves yeah, in there, but did. you just had to be careful. Some people just don't, you know, didn't put them in there uh, very kindly. Now, Setting up is not too bad. Taking down is kind of a pain because you got to pull 
all the cards out of the sleeves and resort them and everything. So there is a little bit of setup, a little bit of takedown. Look, it's a basic card game. I think it's a system that has some legs. If you could put a really good game around it right now, it's okay. It's definitely a try before you buy. If they come out with a better game around the card crafting system, I would probably give up mystic veil and pick that one up instead. All right, people, that's it. We've saved the best for last. We made you listen to the very end. Well, we hope you did, because if you didn't, you're missing out on something very special here that we're getting ready to talk about. <laughs> Tyrants of the Underdark by Gail Forstein, published and designed by Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, and Andrew Veen. I hope that's right. Wow. Just wow. Executive well, summary no- right there, people. What? Well, here's what? The, here's, the, here's the thing. I thought you'd just be excited because there's a D in the title. It's not like Lords of Waterdeep. It's Tyrants of the Underdark. You can't screw it up. I know. Well, watch me. But I could. And then it was like the long, dark night. The, I, I got dark in there, too. Now, if it had been Tyrants, <laughs> tyrants of the Long Underdark, I would have been really ecstatic. But, oh, Marty. Mm, deck builder. Mm. Do these designers sound familiar to you? Do, should they, Marty? Should they? Yes, because they did Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, but of course, goodness comes from those that, that have gone before. I mean, look at that. All right, people are like, what are you guys talking about? All right, here's the deal. We talked in previous segments. Tony and I love our deck building game. Some people like their area control game. <laughs> I'm not a big fan, but this is a combination of both. Separately, these are just plain Jane games, Tony. You got a deck builder they're, game. They're you what? Start out they're plain plain, plain Jane. Oh, I thought you said plain James. I'm like, what the heck is a plain James? But plain yeah, let's Jane. try to try plain Jane. They're plain Jane games. If you just had the deck builder by itself, there'd be nothing special about it because it's really straightforward, right? You start with 10 cards. You select five cards. You have an icon that gives you resources that lets you buy stuff from the market. And then you have power icons that you can add up to do things like deploy units onto the board. You can assassinate units. Uh, you can uh, move spies back because in addition to the cards that you have, they've incorporated a board game into this deck building game. And this is nothing more than a map of a bunch of different houses of the Drow, or is it Drow? And I asked my son and he wasn't sure which one it is. So I'm just going to use Drow and Drow interchangeably and I'll be right 50% of the time. So the whole goal is to take over uh, influence of those different houses and each of you are playing a different faction. And at the end of the game, you're going to score points based who has the most of their troops in each of the type of the house and like all the other games we've mentioned previously the person with the most victory points wins but you don't know who's got the lead because it's all totaled at the end so you're sitting there thinking well hey how's he been not buying cards what is his victory points oh wait a minute he's been collecting victory points because he is in total control of the house so all that's in there so it's kind of a hidden mystery Ooh, it's a mystery so i i gotta admit I mean, I wasn't, when you first was telling me about this, I'm like, oh, how's this going to be any different than any other deck builder? But we got a question over there in the Twitter land about how's the theme, Marty? Does this hold true? I don't know enough about D&D. Do you know enough? I do not know a whole bunch. I did ask my son, uh, who is big into reading about the books, especially Drizzt. He is a big fan of R.A. Salvatore and reads a lot of his books. And he said... Uh, thematically, it was kind of there. This game could have really been anything, Tony. I mean, theme-wise, uh, because the factions weren't unique among themselves, uh, the board 
was, and a lot of people's complaint about this game is the board is kind of blah. And this somewhat is. The background images on the board are kind of cool, but what really stands out are just these areas uh, with uh, connection points between them so that you can move from area to area. That part is kind of plain. Uh, so the theme is somewhat there when you look at the names of the cards and art. Now, the art on the card is gorgeous. Hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you get going down, the art is gorgeous here. The people that are complaining about the board being blah. Okay, when you start putting the little plastic pieces on it, if the board was bam, jumps out at you, then could you lose the little awesome little plastic pieces of the uh, the little shields and the little spies? Could that hide from it? Have those people thought of that? Probably not. And maybe that's that's a good point because by the end of the game, there are a lots of plastic bits on the board. And the really highlighted bolded parts are the areas that you're trying to take control of as each area has like a little circle that you can put your troop in. So those do need to be visible. But I'm just saying that if you walk by the table and see the board by itself, you would think, what? I don't really care about that game. I mean, it is kind of plain. Okay, fine. Then stand there, wait for us to put pieces on it and start playing the game. Don't just walk by the board and look at Because there's a ton of boards that have boring artwork that are incredible games. But let's go back to the art, okay? Okay. Well, just the art on the card is really good. Theme-wise, it could be anything... Did it really stick with the theme of what's happening in D&D? Travis said it, it did, is in the fact that you do have these different houses fighting for control of each other. And he said that that aspect uh, really is there. Uh, each person is playing as a different faction. It would have been cool if, if the, there were different faction abilities. There's not. So that's that's pretty straightforward. But really, on your turn, you're going to play the cards that you have in hand that allow you to do such things as take one of your troops, put it on the board, Put a spy into a location uh, so that you can keep somebody from getting total control. And total control is if the, nobody else is in that space, uh, they're going to have total control of that spot and it might earn them victory points over the course of the game. But Tony, one thing that's really cool is the promote mechanic. Oh yeah, the promote mechanic. The card is dead in your hand. It's useless. If you have a card that lets you promote it, then it goes out of your hand and it gets you more points because it's not like, oh, this is useless. Just throw it away. That There's a lot of strategy in promoting these cards. When do you do it? But like I had one that if at the end of the game, it would have counted for four victory points if I had left it. Very powerful card. But I decided. What do you mean left it? If I had left it in my deck. Okay. So that means there's point values for cards in your deck right. and one for if they go to the inner circle after they're promoted. Okay. And then if they're promoted, they go to the inner circle. And if I held on to it, it was worth four. But if I promoted it, then it was worth eight. Oh, well, duh. I'm going to do that. But when do I do that? Near the end game. Hope it comes up. Does it come up with a card that allows me to promote it to the inner circle? Once they're in the inner circle, they're dead to you until the end of the game scoring. Great mechanism. Awesome. I'm, uh, I was like, I was kind of skeptical, but I was like, oh, I'm seeing the value here. Let's go with this. And I am, and there, you got to think about that. Yeah. Now that's not the first deck building game to do that sort of thing where calling your deck will give you an advantage at the end of the game. So that's not unique. And again, none of these things are really unique. It's an area control style game. It's a deck building game. But Tony, I think this is a really, really good melding of the two mechanics together. Okay, so calling your deck, but when you call your deck, I I don't know of any that after after I call that I get to recall the cards back for point values. Do you? Yes, they do exist because I was talking to some people last night. That's not a unique mechanic. Okay, well, why haven't you introduced those to me? 
uh, because I just have never played those other games. I'm just making the point in, in that, uh, again, a lot of not as new as being introduced. It's just it does a really good job of taking the two and putting them together. Mixing a people have tried to mix a deck building game with a board game in the past and have been kind of so-so at it. I know that for me, this is one of those games that I will add to the shelves. It is a very, very good deck builder with the board game. I like the fact that it comes with four decks that are interchangeable or that you can mix and match, right? Yep, the, for the market cards, yes. I like how they condense the board down depending on the number of players. I'm kind of concerned about two-player. We didn't get to play that, but I'm kind of concerned at how well that would play. Three was nice. I enjoyed that, and I'm sure four is phenomenal. Yeah, I think four would be cool. Basically, the, the board is split into thirds, and when you play with uh, two-player, you just uh, use one of the third. Three players use two-thirds, and if all four players are playing, you use the entire board, which we did not get to do. But it's very easy to teach, Tony. Like five minutes, we were able to teach it. The only thing we had to do was teach the mechanics of like what promote means right. or or what means to uh, assassinate or supplant. There's these keywords that'll be on cards, and they're really straightforward in how to do it. Again, you'll just have cards. If somebody has control of something, you'll have cards in your hand that you'll buy from the market that allows you to kill off people in that area and then put your guys in place in order to take it over. So it's a tug of war among all these spaces the entire game i typically do not air like air control games but i really dug this one and i didn't feel like the area control was just slapping you in the face i felt like it was a way that you had to get up there to keep them from constantly rolling the victory points or or um, getting having total control of the various houses but i did notice that you needed to watch that so you couldn't let it just sit there so it was neat. The board is set up at the beginning with some neutral uh, troops already on the board. So you have to go around and kill those guys off in order to take over the positions. And whenever you kill somebody off, whether it's a neutral troop or somebody else, you take them, uh, put them underneath your board as they're worth a victory point at the end of the game. Great game. Marty, you keeping it on your shelves or do I get to hold it, have it? No, you do not get to have this. This is going to stay on my shelf. This was a surprise for me. I did not know this would work uh, this well together. Again, as far as the cons, standalone by themselves, the deck building or the area control, they're pretty standard fare. They've really melded them well together. Some people have an issue with the uh, art on the board. I totally understand that. To be honest, once you start playing, you don't notice it anymore. This is a pricey game, Tony. The MSRP is $75. Now, that is a little pricey for what you get in that game, which is some little, a lot of plastic tokens, some cards, and a board. That is a little on the high end, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a big con. I, I'd agree with you on that. But you know what? Maybe, just maybe... There's a podcast that might have an extra copy. Man, if that podcast had an extra copy, wouldn't it be cool if they gave one of those copies to one of their listeners? That would be really cool. Then maybe I could put it on my shelf. Maybe I would be eligible to enter into that contest where, oh, I don't know, you would fill out some questionnaire on a Google form somewhere and leave your email address and, and provide content for that podcast. That'd be so freaking cool if somebody had that. Oh, man. I got an idea. What's that? Why don't we do that? Wait, we got an extra copy? We do have an extra copy that we want to give away. And it's one of those things that as soon as we played it, we like, yes, 
We, we need to get this in somebody else's hands because we want them to experience it too. So just like you said, Tony, you're going to set up a Google form. And people, you're going to have to work for this. Yeah, this this is this is a big one. Uh, you ain't got to work for a lot of things, but this, this one is uh, worth working for. And this is Tyrants of the Underdark. I hope they have maybe some expansions planned. I have no idea. It'd be cool to do some other, some other cards or other mechanics into the game. Gale Force 9 available now. And again, you'll have a chance to win it right here. Well, guys, that's it. That's all the games that we were able to quickly review for you. Um, please post comments over there at the Guild or over on our webpage, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Or our Facebook page. Or the Facebook page, which I go to maybe once a week. Marty's there a few times. And then, of course, don't forget, there's always, you can tell us stuff on Twitter at Dyson Names. And if you really want to be ignored, go to Tony <laughs> underscore RDTN. That one will work for you just as well. But either way, for someone who's really dedicated to this, if you haven't heard, Rodney Smith, great guy, awesome person, has started up or... Marty, has he started or when this releases? I, I got my dates all confused. I, I, I've, I've lost track. He started it, didn't he? His Kickstarter. So as of this recording, he has not started it. But he, I said, do you mind if we go ahead and mention it? And he said, that will give me incentive to get it ready to go. It should be going by now. But if not, keep an eye out for it. It's going to be coming soon. This is your way to back Watch It Played. Uh, from Rodney Smith as it's time for his fundraiser again uh, this year. And again, this is Rodney's job. This is his sole income. And I think he does a great service for the community. I, I agree with you. And back it if for anything, just so you can hear him say out. Out? Yes. About? I know. It's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so yeah, so I, was, if I, I wish we had that um, recorder that you bought every time he'd say it just so we could you know play it. And splice it into our episode constantly. Well, I'd like to say for Rodney, Tony, you and I have had the privilege of getting to know him uh, really well over the past couple years. He's, he's a good friend of ours, but because he's a good friend of ours, we can tell all of you, I mean, it's not like we're saying something that nobody knows who Rodney Smith is. Everybody knows who Rodney Smith is because you've probably watched his videos and watched it played on how to play a game. Just let me tell you, Tony and I have seen it firsthand how professional he is. This guy takes his craft seriously. He puts a lot of work into it. And when it comes to talking about his business, and this is his business, he treats it very seriously. He wants to make sure everything's correct. He His most valuable asset is probably his relationships that he has with the listeners, with the publishers, and he uses that in order to build, to make some good quality content. And I can tell you, talking to him offline, he frets over every little thing, Tony. When we were playing Stronghold, remember we got that from McNasty, right about that time is when Rodney was going to start doing rules for it. He was constantly asking me questions. How did y'all interpret this rule? How did you interpret this rule? Did you have any other odd rules questions? He was getting all that to send to Ignacy to make sure that he has the rules right. He wants to make sure he was 100% right. And if he is not, he stresses out over that because one time, just in fun, I happened to point out a little something on his video that was, he, he said one color, but showed another. It was no big deal. It really bothered him. And eventually that video was replaced with one that was correct, Tony. That's definitely not on this show. So I'm glad it's on here. <laughs> I was going to say, if we had that type of professionalism, maybe we could do something like that too, but we do not. So seriously, yes, he is a personal friend of ours, but I just want to tell you all y'all that we have seen behind the scenes how much 
love and passion and sweat he puts into what he does. He does it because he wants to be a service to a community. He wants to grow this hobby and he wants to help everybody. And he is definitely one of those guys. He is as nice as he seems and he will reach out to people and try to make them better. The only time he is not nice is when he sit down at a table and play a board game with him. Then look out. All right. Enough Rodney Love. Go back him. Plain and simple. We love the guy. That's the way it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Oh, and guess what? Marty told what? Marty told me that we've got an iTunes review. Yeah, we've got several, several iTunes reviews that have come in over the past, uh, since the last episode. And we just want to give a thanks to One of Peace. And also... I'm sure there's a way to pronounce this, but I don't know how it would be done, so I'm just going to spell it. C-H-L-A-M-Y-D-I-A-1138. Thank you so much for the kind comments you left in iTunes. That really meant a lot to us. And for anybody else who would love to give us uh, reviews on iTunes, the reason why a lot of podcasts do that is because when you get activity on the reviews, it kind of helps get shown and, and, and shown up more on the, the home pages of the hobby games and everything. And, and that just potentially leads to more listeners. So thanks who have already left us reviews and I would love for any other people to leave us reviews. That'd be great. Anything else that we need to do, like send out a congrats to somebody for hitting like uh 200 episodes or something. Well, since you've set it up that way, why don't you just go ahead and do it onboard games. Onboard games. Congrats, guys. 200 episodes. Amazing. They are, uh, they are one of those guys that when we first got started, I went out to Donald Dennis and he was, he was so nice and just giving us tips and everything. We hadn't even hit a hundred yet and he's already at 200. They have a quality show. Him and Eric put on great shows. They have all these wonderful guests on. So guys, Congratulations so much. 200 episodes in today's time, 200 episodes in this hobby. That is a lot. Not a, not many people can say that. Donald is key in the gaming community in his uh, area down there in the South Carolina coast. He does an incredible job. I mean, you know, getting games for the library, things like that. And then, of course, they're expanding it. Um, I mean, Stephanie Isaac are on there as well. So, you know, great content always coming out. If you haven't given Onboard Games a listen, be sure to pay attention. And if anything, if it was like a Marvel comic, it could be like a reboot. They hit 200 and they could go back to number one. <laughs> they start over at number No, that's D. DC that does oh, that junk. Is that DC? Okay. Yeah, that was DC that did that junk when when uh, one of their comics is like 900 and something. It's like, okay, new 52. Let's start over at one. But at least with Rebirth, they've gone up to the 900s again. So congratulations, DC. You saw the error of your ways and fixed it. Yeah, whatever. All right, dude. I got people coming over for gaming. We need to get out of here before this thing runs too long. Ooh, gaming. That sounds like fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this game-packed episode. We had so much fun at Origins. And thank you so for all those that have supported the show. Please continue to do so. You can do so at Pod Pledge. Join us on Facebook. Go join our guild where Tony will shed his responsibilities and get you to do work for him. Or you can fill out a poll that means something content later or a question that really has no bearing on anything because that's what I do best. But either way, guys, most importantly, keep rolling dice and taking names. Coming in episode 98, we talk about spending the weekend with Ignacy from Portal Games. Plus, we talk about the new game just released on Kickstarter from the designers, the Sadler Brothers, The Walking Dead from Cryptozoic Games. Smurg. Shh. Sh- sh- sh-
Smurg. Simurg. 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 Shevashek. Simurgshek. Shimmershek. Whatever, dude. Let's just face facts. We're not going to get any of them. If any of these games interest you, be sure to check them out over at funagain.com. They're they're either going to have them on pre-order or they already have them in stock. Remember what we talked about, their pre-order system gives you a special discount, especially if you are a member of their rewards program. So go over to funagain.com and see what kind of games are out there for you. And don't forget about their ding and dent sales. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Broken Prism Reviews, a YouTube channel bringing you game reviews in three parts, unboxing, express gameplay, and a quick rundown of what makes the game stand out. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.